Amen. Well, that is the goal. Uh, as Brad said, if you're new to Rio and this is your first time here, maybe if you've just been away for a while and you're coming back, uh, welcome. We know that there are lots of ways that you could choose to spend your Sunday morning, and you've chosen to do it this way, and, and we really appreciate that and, uh, and value that. But uh, I feel like I need to give you a little bit of advance warning, and that unbeknownst to you, you have, as Scott indicated at the beginning, sort of walked into the middle of a conversation that we've been having for several weeks now as a church about what moves us as human beings. And so what I want to do is kind of rehearse a little bit of that for you to just sort of bring that you up to speed on what we've talked about, and then we can kind of continue the conversation forward. But we started this conversation by just talking about God, and we said, look, here's a simple premise. If there is a God, and if he is the God of the Bible, and those are two ifs, I get that, but just follow it through. If there is a God, and he is the God of the Bible, then by definition, it is necessarily the case that there is nothing and no one more moving in all of the universe than him. It just, it has to be so. But here's the deal, and we talked about this, you don't know that until you see God. And so then what did we do? Well, we started this journey out together by opening the Bible, this Word of God that we believe as Christians is God's revelation of Himself to us and looking at God. And what we realized when we looked at God is that when you see God for who He really is as opposed to, you know, maybe who you've been told that He is or who you assume that He is. And we make assumptions about everything and everyone, and thankfully most of the time we're right, but not always. When you see God for who he really is, when you see God for what he's really like, when you then humble yourself before this God and receive all that he has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ, God made man come into the world to remove everything between you and God. Okay, here's what happens. You are moved. There's, there's no other option. You are absolutely unequivocally, wholeheartedly, to the core of your being, moved. And you're moved, first of all, in worship. In worship of this God who you come to realize progressively is your creator, is your provider, is your sustainer, is your protector, is your savior, is your redeemer, is your counselor, is your comforter, is your king, is your master, is your father, is your brother, is your friend. I could just keep going. It's remarkable. God so wants you to know who he is and what he's like that he gathers up all of these different relationships that we as human beings uniquely understand. And he says, I am the perfect version of all of those things and then infinitely more. So you're moved in worship, but here's what else happens. You're you're moved into community, and that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, we began this idea that, you know what, you're moved into community, meaning the community of other people who believe in that same God, who have entrusted their life to that same Jesus, who are walking that same path and journey as you do. And here's the deal. There is great personal benefit to being a part of the Christian community, for in the Christian community, for example... You have the opportunity to have a depth of relationship with people that you can't find anywhere else. And here's why I say that. Because God supernaturally unlocks capacities of relationship in you that will never otherwise be unlocked. By his spirit, through his word, what does he do? He begins to build into your life the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The mind of Christ becomes your mind. And what kind of mind is that? It's one that empties itself for the sake of other people. Does any of this sound like native human ability? It's not. 
It's not who we are naturally, but it's who we become as God goes to work in our hearts and minds and lives. So there's great personal benefit to being a part of the Christian community, but as we talked about last week, that's not the only purpose of the Christian community. In other words, the Christian community does not exist solely for me and for you and for everybody else who's already a believer. It exists for the sake of the world, for God so loved the world that he then gave Jesus. And here is who he has given the message of Jesus to. He's given the message of Jesus to us for the sake of the world. So the rest of this conversation is going to go kind of like this. Next week, we're going to get together and talk about moving toward our neighbors with the message of Jesus. And then the next week, we're going to talk about moving toward our city with the message of Jesus. And then the final week, we're going to talk about moving toward the world with the message of Jesus. But today, as Scott said earlier, we're going to talk about moving toward our family with the message of Jesus. And here's how I'm going to define family. I'm going to define it in the traditional way for sure. So moms and dads, husbands and wives, kids, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandparents, grandkids, all that stuff that we normally think of. But I'm going to add a group to that. I'm going to add your closest friends. That's your family. And the bottom line of the whole day is this. It is that moving toward our family, biblically speaking, well, it looks like loving God and leading them to do likewise. That's it. And so to see that, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 together, at least a part of it, beginning in verse 4. And here's the deal. I, I realize in this passage of Scripture that Moses, who's the author of this, is speaking specifically to the parent-child relationship. So that's not lost on me. But I'm going to apply that more broadly. In other words, I think that what will work with your kids will also work with your nieces and nephews and grandkids. It will also work with your own parents as you grow up and invite them into your faith and into your home and into your life and into your family. It'll work with your friends it just, it works. And it all begins with the first statement. So in verse 4, Moses says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so whatever it is that Moses is then going to teach us here in a second about how it is to love God and to lead our family to do likewise, it is grounded utterly and entirely in this statement. So what is he saying in this statement? He says, hear, O Israel. So he is talking to the people of God. He's talking to the community of faith. And he's saying, the Lord, singular, our God, the God of the Bible, is one, meaning he is the one and only God in all of the world. <laughs> it's just kind of a big statement. And it was a big statement in Moses' day too. Listen, Moses lived in a world in which there were a lot of gods. We live in a world in which there are a lot of gods. And here's what all of us gravitate toward doing as human beings. We all of us gravitate toward kind of picking and choosing from amongst the gods of this world based on whatever season of life we're in and whatever way we feel like they can best serve us and or then choosing a god, but not the whole of the god. In other words, choosing a god, but not on his terms. Like we come to God and we go, okay, so here's the deal. If there's a hundred things about you, God, I really like 80. And 20, not so much. So I'm going to pretend like the 20 doesn't exist. And I will accept you on my terms. Everybody does that. Everybody. Me too. And it doesn't work. See, the irony is we end up with a God of our own invention, do we not? And the God that our hearts most need, guys, is not a God that we've created. The God that our hearts most need is a God who has created us, who comes to us on his terms, and you can take him or not. Now, why do I say that? Because every person in this room at various times in your life has felt worthless, and you will again. 
And I'll just use myself as an example, okay? Here's what I don't need. I don't need for a God that I've created to come to me to tell me that I have value. It doesn't work. Everybody feels guilty at times, and sometimes, you know, deservedly so, and a lot of times not deservedly so. But in either case, when we're swallowed up in guilt, what we don't need, because it doesn't help at all, is for a God of our own creation to come to us and offer us pardon. We all wonder what we're supposed to do. We need guidance. We need wisdom. We need this. We need that. How can a God we made give that to us? He can't. So the ironic thing is that the God that our hearts most need is a God that that created us, that we accept on his terms. And it's where Moses begins. He says, Hear, O Israel, let me tell you something about God. This is a faith statement, and you need to believe this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then what does he say? Because it's not a recommendation. He says, look, in light of who this God really is, in light of what this God really is like, and in light of what this God has done for you in Jesus Christ, okay, here's the commandment of the Lord, and it's not burdensome. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he adds this. He says, and these words that I command you today. Well, what is that? It's all the commandments of the Lord. The Lord writing through Moses is saying, okay, you want to know how to live for me? Here we go. These words that I command you today, he says, shall be where? Shall be on your heart. And what is the heart in the Bible? It's the command center of your life. You know, it's from out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The heart commands our lives. It determines the decisions that we make, the values that we live out or don't. What we do with our lives, how we use our money, how we use our bodies. All of these things are determined by the heart. You get the idea? And so what has Moses done? He's saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. How? By keeping these commandments that are beyond that are to be on your heart. Why? Because you'll feel guilty if you don't? I mean, you know, you might. But that is an awful motivation. Because this is what good Christians do? I I mean, that may be, but that's not the reason. Because you're a dutiful and responsible person, and therefore, no, just that's not going to work. That will always fail. It's because you can't not do it. It's because you're overwhelmed with love for God. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but one of the realities of, and it's true for all of us, is that we do crazy things for people that we love, like things that we would never otherwise do. We spend all kinds of money we would never spend. We spend our time and and use our time in ways that we would never otherwise do. We do things, like in my case, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, you go to the mall. Like, I would never otherwise go to the mall, right? That's it. I'm just, I'm made for online shopping. If I'm going to the mall, I'm walking through to get to lunch. That's, That's the only reason. Or I'm with Beth. Think about it. You eat things you would never otherwise eat. You know, you go have sushi with somebody because you're in love with them, you know? Meanwhile, your mom's like, I spent 25 years trying to get you to eat cooked carrots. Like, what? Now you're eating sushi, you know? It's like, I don't know what's in the red dragon roll. But it tastes good when I'm with her. You get the idea? This is not manufactured. This is not burdensome. This is not heavy. This is not cumbersome. This is not, oh, man, this is like, hey, what can I do next? Red dragon roll, right on. Really? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Look at who he is. 
Look at what he's like. Look at what he's done. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And here's what that looks like. These commandments that I've given to you shall be on your heart. And you'll want to do them because you love him. And you'll want your family to love him too. And then to learn how to live out that love in the same fashion. It's just natural. It's organic. It's, it's, well, of course. And that's where Moses turns next. He says, you shall teach the commandments of the Lord that you are to live out in love diligently to your children. And again, this passage speaks directly to the parent-child relationship. I get that. I'm applying it more broadly, but I do kind of want to park for a second on the parent-child relationship and note that, hey, it does speak to that, and it comes to us, and it puts the onus on us. In other words, it doesn't say, okay, parents, here's the deal. You need to find some people to teach your children how to love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. Now, in my experience as a parent, those people are amazingly helpful, and I'm incredibly indebted to them, including many of you. I mean, I look at the teachers who have helped raise my kids in the faith. I I, I look at the teachers who have taught them here in various classes on Sunday mornings. I look at our impact student ministry people. I look at dear friends of ours, you know, that we go on vacation with and who have helped kind of mentor and raise me as a parent and and our kids as well. And I just, it's invaluable, the resource that's part of the value of being a part of a Christian community. But we have the most significant role. Moses comes and he says, hey, 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 you shall teach them diligently to your children. And here's what we as a church are here to do. We are here to encourage you in that. We are here to help instruct you as best we can in that. We are here to pray for you in that. We're here to guide you and we're here to resource you. That is what Bethany Christian School is all about. It is a truly excellent Christian school. That's what Impact Student Ministries is all about. They're off on their alpha retreat right now, actually. It's amazing. That's what Rio Littles, which is the preschool kid program that are ha- is happening right now, or, or Rio Kids, which is kindergarten through third grade, which is happening right now, or Rio New City Kids, which is fourth and fifth grade and kind of a new thing this year that's happening right now is all about it. In fact, if you have kids in any one of those classes that I just named, when you go to get them, you should get some materials that they take home with them. You can also have it emailed to you. But in those materials, it's going to give you ways to, to work with your kids and, and talk to them if you've got littles or if, you, if you've got the Rio kids about contentment. That's what they're learning about this week. There's the Bible verse in there. There's even a model prayer that you can pray when you tuck your kids in at night with them. We're here to resource you. If they're in the New City class, they're learning the New City Catechism. It's a brilliant catechism. It's deep theology. It's question and answer made simple, really with Bible verses that support it. You'll know the aim, the goal. The... Use this stuff. So we're to love God and we're to teach our family, which obviously includes our kids, but I'm appro- applying it more broadly, okay, to do likewise. And as Moses is now going to say, we are to do this, you ready? All of the time. And not in an obnoxious, every chance I get with you, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and I'm going to be, and, you know, and then you're going to start to avoid me. And I, no, but in a way that's just, it, it's, it's a part of who I am. It's, it's a, therefore, then it's a part of what I do. And more than that, it's a part of what I say. One of the realities about all of us as human beings is we all talk about the things we love, no matter what it is. If we love food, we talk about food. If we love football, we talk about football. 
We love our grandkids. I mean, come on. We talk about it. We love those kids. And when we love Jesus, we talk about him too. Listen to what Moses says. He says, you shall talk about the Lord and his commandments. That's the idea. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, that is to say when you're at rest and when you're active. And everywhere in between is the point. And when you lie down, which, I mean, just keeping it real is speaking of the most private aspect of your life. And when you rise up and you go out in public, so in the most private parts of your life and in the most public, it's to filter its way through absolutely everything you are. And you shall bind them, he says, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, which has given rise in various parts of the Jewish community to the use of these things called phylacteries and mezuzahs. Do you know what a phylactery is? It's like a little box. And it comes with a long leather strap, typically. And so uh, the Jewish men will take this box and they'll wrap the leather strap up their arm and they'll use that during a time of prayer and they'll put one on their forehead as well. And this little boxes or these boxes contain various verses from the Hebrew Old Testament. A mezuzah goes on the right side of your door. It contains typically this passage of scripture here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How you should love him, how you should... Train up your children. Actually tap these things in and out of the house, typically. And I respect those traditions. I think there's great value to those traditions. But I think the point that Moses is making is not so much that we write it on our hands or or on our doorposts. That might be helpful to the point that he's making. The point that he's making is that they shall be on your heart. That's what he said earlier. The idea is that we are so involved with the Word of God, that we are so involved with the law of God, that we are so involved with the things of God and depositing them generously into our heart on a regular basis, just like we eat food, that it's written on our heart. It shapes and molds and informs who we are. And, among other things, we end up talking about it. So I want to ask you a question, okay? So the question is this. What do you talk about with your family? Okay, that includes your friends, remember? And the friend piece is important. It really is. I mean, those are some of the people that you have the opportunity to influence the most. And frankly, as my kids have all learned, because I've talked about this maybe too much, they have the opportunity to influence you. And listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 13, verse 20. He says, whoever walks with the wise, what? Becomes wise. Not might become wise, not occasionally picks up some wisdom, you know? sometimes makes a good decision. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And everyone over the age of about 16 knows that's true because we've been the companion of fools. We've also been the fools. We've experienced the reality of this. God's coming and he's saying, listen, be one of the wise ones. Be one of the godly ones. Be one who calls his family, including his friends, to Jesus. So moving toward your family looks like loving God and leading them to do likewise in an all-pervasive, just because it flows out of the core of my being and my own personal relationship with Jesus kind of way. And so with that in mind, I want you to consider four things, all right? So thing number one. 
I'd like you to consider whether or not you've actually accepted God on his terms as opposed to on your own terms. Is he the true and the living God as he presents himself to you, creator, sustainer, provider, protector, all of those things? Redeemer, savior, father, king, master, brother, friend. Or have you said, you know, I like about 80% of of you, Lord. (laughs) Because we get 100% of him. He is the true and the living God. And that's the God your heart needs, guys. The real God. God as he actually is. He's the one who will speak value to you and speak pardon to you and speak wisdom to you and so forth. And frankly, loving God and leading uh, your family to do likewise starts by accepting God for who he really is and for what he's really like, taking him on his own terms. Secondly, I'd like you to examine your life for areas of disobedience. Why? Because loving God looks like obedience, and none of us does that perfectly. Not a one of us. And and here's the deal. Instead of feeling guilty about that, uh, what I want you to do is take that and, and bring it to him and then experience the relief, frankly, and the joy, the cleansing of, of his work on your behalf. Bring that stuff to Jesus and say, Lord, take this away from me. Forgive me of it. Break me of the power of it. Lead me to those who I need to help me get this thing behind me and fill my heart with such a love for you in response that I don't want to do that anymore because I'm finding in you what I've been trying to find in this. Thirdly, I'd like you to look at your own heart and ask yourself, what am I doing to try to develop myself spiritually? You know, like I've got a physical fitness plan and I've got a long-term financial plan and maybe I even have a diet plan. What is my spiritual plan? Like, what am I doing to develop the part of me that lives forever? The most significant piece. How am I forming and shaping and participating in what God wants to do in and through me? How am I being transformed into the image of Jesus? What are the habits and practices of faith? And how am I doing in that regard? Because what we're talking about is taking Jesus to other people, starting with our family. And we can't give what we don't have. And then fourthly, I want you to do one thing this week, just one, it's simple, okay? To advance the love of God in the life of at least one person in your family. And it might be as simple as, hey, you know what? I just make sure that I get those materials when I leave with my kids today and tonight when I tuck them into bed or, I don't know, Wednesday night or whatever night works best for you. I lay down with them and say, you know what? Let's let's talk about some of this stuff. Let's work through it. You're like, I've never prayed out loud. I get that. The first time I ever prayed out loud, this is a true story, I was standing in a church service, third row, and the pastor of the church looked at me and goes, Tom, come on up and close us in prayer. I I went, I I literally, like not as a joke, I looked behind me like, who the heck is he talking about? (laughs) Is he talking about me? Like, I don't remember anything from that moment on. Like, I know I got up there. I know I did it. I know it was probably three seconds long, and then it was over, and I was relieved, and then I was scared to death to stand in that church service from then on. But these are your children, okay? It's not a congregation full of people. Talk to the Lord. You talk to people, he's a person. Pour your heart out to him. Find somebody to mentor you in this area of your life. Somebody you respect. 
With your kids, you can read the model prayer. It's right there on the paper. They won't expect you to do something different. Do that, or maybe for you, this one step is simply inviting somebody to church. It's actually pretty easy to do. You call them up and you say, hey, you know what? You're my buddy and you know that I go to church. And I don't know, maybe you think that's weird or not, but here's the deal. This is a really valuable part of my life. And as I've been thinking about it, I thought, you know, maybe this would be something you would actually enjoy and, and benefit from. Research indicates that 82% of people say that they would go to a church service with a trusted friend if they were invited. Think about that. That's amazing. Like if, you know, if you were a baseball player and you hit the ball 82% of the time, like, I mean, you'd be the greatest player ever. That's, that's a pretty good batting average. That's, it's not as scary as it sounds. Guys, notwithstanding all of our failure, God loves us. And here's how we know, because he's given us Jesus. (laughs) That's how. That's it. He has proven his love to us in Christ, and he desires to extend that love to the people in our world, beginning with our families. So begin with your family and begin this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. God, we do not deserve it. We confess that, but man, we receive it. Lord, we take it. We are so thankful for it. We thank you for Jesus. God made man come into this world to, at the expense of his life, pay the penalty for all of our sin, for all of our failures, for all of our selfishness, for all of our idolatry, for all of the ways that we've taken you and or any other God on our own terms. It hasn't worked. So, Lord, give us the faith to receive you as you are, holy and just, righteous and good, merciful and pure, loving and generous, wise and kind. And give us the faith we need to confess that we need you and to receive that life through Jesus. And then give us the faith we need to share that life with everybody else, beginning with our family because everybody else needs the same God that we have found. So do these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.